Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and if you listen to our last episode, we sort of picked out our honorable mentions for best films of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for this, we'll do the counterpart to it, our honorable mentions for best TV shows of 2020. Um, another way I would like to phrase it, you know, with the, the honorable mentions is that it, this is, these are kind of the, the underseen, flew under the radar shows and films yeah. that you won't necessarily find on many best of lists, if any, um, except except for mine on Popeye, you can <laughs> check it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these like flew under the radar for several reasons. For two of the shows that we're talking about today, it's because uh, number one, uh, we'll be we'll be talking about Feel Good. Uh, number two, we'll be talking about City So Real, and number yeah. three, we'll be talking about Mythic Quest. Okay, for Feel Good, which uh, a show that I deeply enjoyed, and it was a very short binge on Netflix. It was mm-hmm. kind of buried by Netflix's algorithm, yeah, uh, and just the amount of stuff that comes out on Netflix. It's it's easy to overlook a, a little gem like this with mm-hmm. City So Real, which is a, a sprawling documentary about uh the 2019 Chicago uh, mayoral elections. Uh, it was aired on National Geographic. Uh, I mean, hands up, <laughs> who has a subscription to the Net Geo channel? None of you? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's City <laughs> Surreal. Um, similarly, with uh, Apple TV Plus's uh, Mythic Quest, which is uh, kind of um, a workplace comedy dealing with the toxicity of uh, video game studios, mm-hmm. uh, had a bit of a press behind it. You know, it had a lot of critical acclaim, yep. a lot of good reviews. The thing is, when I talk to my friends about Mythic Quest, most of them are like, cool, that sounds great. Where do I watch it? Oh, I don't have <laughs> Apple TV+. Plus. You know, and I keep trying to point out, have you bought an Apple uh, phone or, or, or a device in the last year? Because if you do, you have a 12-month subscription for free to Apple yeah. TV+. Plus. Turn it on. Check out Mythic Quest, you know. So, so those are kind of the shows that we'll be dealing with today, uh, And we'll be kicking off with uh, May Martin's Feel Good on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, man, um, I really, really enjoyed the show. It was such a a, a deeply complex uh, exploration of uh, queer love and and comedy and uh, and addiction. You know, um, yeah. I feel like many may not have heard of comedian May Martin. I think prior to her Netflix debut here, um, but uh, judging by the astonishing quality of her series, and I feel like she's every bit as good as, you know, the Donald Glovers or Pamela Adlons or Aziz Ansari's of the world, you know, like the comedians uh, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, of course, who mm-hmm. have turned their lives uh, into autobiographical uh, dramedies. Uh, it, it feels like a, a breath of fresh air. It, it frames you know, very complicated emotions and issues through shrewdly funny uh, and, and a bracingly honest lens uh, that only the kind of most sharply observant comedians uh, possess. Yeah. Uh, those who don't know, Feel Good follows uh, the titular character May, uh, named after herself, uh, a struggling stand-up comic from Canada, barely eking out a living in London. Uh, she's a recovering drug addict uh, and mm-hmm. basically homeless. Uh, but things are starting to look up uh, when she meets a gorgeous English teacher named George, uh, played by Charlotte Ritchie, uh, during one of her sets. Uh, their chemistry is kind of scorching from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the rom-com portion of their relationship unfolds very briskly with a quick montage in the first episode. They fall in love, they move in together within the opening minutes. But what's next? And that's kind of the, the gist of the show, you know. Yeah. This is where the show sets its, itself apart immediately. Feel Good isn't the rom-com as much as, as it is the messy and raw exploration of what happens after a rom-com. Uh, having caught Feel Good on, on uh, Netflix, um, what, what, what do you think about it? I I didn't know it was on Netflix, really. Like, uh, I've, I've caught some of May Martin stuff, just like random things that maybe had popped up on my Facebook timeline. 
or you know just like diving into uh, comedy stuff on YouTube and, and her name came up a couple of times I, oh, I, had, I had no idea who she was before the show yeah so like when when you recommended this uh, yeah. you know I was like oh she has her own show I, didn't, I had no idea and then when you told me it was on Netflix I really like mm. I try my best to keep abreast of the comedy stuff on Netflix yeah Um. but no I, I, I had no idea whatsoever so uh, I mean, of course, like Netflix has been pumping up like some really, really heavy hitters, or at least like big banner stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if if something like this went under the radar. Yeah, they put out like ten shows a week. You know, it's hard to overlook stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Feel Good was was I I really really enjoyed it. I I think that it's very very well balanced, very well nuanced. Uh, kind of look into, I mean, May Martin's uh. All, all, Fiction, uh, her fictional character's life, right? At least, mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it is uh, autobiographical. Uh, I didn't really read up on that, mm-hmm. um, but like it, I I love it when series aren't afraid, right, to go into messy places, you know, uh, and to be able to kind of balance that out with kind of a very breezy, light-heartedness um, from time to time, right, and then just kind of like diving into the deep end of like uh, of addiction and asking some really like serious and important questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and what it is to be queer, what it is to 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 have uh, a gender identity that you can claim and call your own, like all these things, I feel were dealt in a very real and and very uh, visceral way, mm-hmm. uh, without it feeling like dark grim. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's like really rare. I think most of the time, right? Like we've we've done a fair number of series, like you know, um. Anything from Aziz Ansari's uh, Master of None. Master of None. We've done Rami. We've done, you know, um, Fleabag, Aladdin. Fleabag. Yeah. So, like, we've, we've done all of that. But I think this is the first um, queer one we've done. Is that right? Mm, let me think. Yeah, you're right about right? that. It's it the is. first queer one we've done. Uh, and, like, it's, it's refreshing to kind of, like, see that, you know, um, it's, uh, I think it's about time that, you know, comedy has, the co- comedy and comedians have been. Um, getting their due in terms of the airtime that they're getting with TV shows and things like that and the stories that they want to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really nice to kind of see May Martin getting out there and, and telling, you know, stories that she wants to tell. And uh, there are some very, very good, very heartfelt and heart-wrenching um, stories as well. Yeah, um, I feel like with most of the dramedies that we've covered, uh, that, that we mentioned, right, um, a lot of the emphasis is on the drama. Yeah. Uh, and I think few good the one area where Feel Good succeeds above all the other shows that we mentioned, I, and I include Barry in this, is that I think it is funnier than, yeah. than those shows. That yeah. it leads more towards the comedy. Uh, that, that's not to say that the drama is is lacking in any way, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, with George specifically, you know, we see the problems with their relationship like quite swiftly. You know, George is a quote-unquote straight woman yeah. uh, who has never been in a relation uh, in a lesbian relationship before. She's a she's a lesbian virgin. Uh, in fact, she's so terrified of uh having her casually homophobic friends and family find out, you know, that she literally makes uh, me hide in a closet in one episode, like literally. Uh, On the flip side, you know, (laughs) me has hidden her substance abuse issues from George. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of this decades-long struggle that she's had that destroyed her relationships with her parents and past friends. Uh, And and as George deals with the revelations of uh, me's history, me must also contend with the difficult conundrum of dating someone who's too afraid to come out, you know? Yeah. Um, although these concerns are kind of played for comedy at first, um, the laughs aren't really able to conceal the underlying toxicity of their relationship for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, May ju- doesn't just feel inadequate. She is rightly alarmed 
that this could just be a passing phase, you know, for George, who is lo her lover. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, George comes to the, the realization that May might not be in love with her so much as she's addicted to the idea of being in love. Mm -hmm. um, as many addicts can attest, sometimes one addiction is replaced by another fixation. Yeah. Uh, so when May's history of chasing straight goals comes to light, you know, the, the kind of rotten core of the, of the love on both sides is manifested. La. There's plenty of evidence to show why they're, why they're ill-matched despite their genuine connection. You know, George goes so far as to invent a boyfriend for herself just to avoid <laughs> telling her friends the truth, you know, and, and yeah. May displays all the jittery, obsessive signs of an addict missing her high the second that George asks for some personal space, right? You know, um, both parties have a ton of baggage that creates, you know, stark and sometimes contradictory power imbalances in their relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and the magic of Feel Good is that it captures the slightly weird, adorably sweet moments of a budding romance with as much depth and beauty as it does the confusion and the painful parts. Uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, um, like me's uh, stand-ups on the sh on, on stand-up sets on the show, you know, she's also playing a stand-up comedian in the show. Uh, Feel Good kind of sharply minds the, the discomfort for humor and then uses that humor to confront uh, difficult uh, truths. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, unlike most romances on TV, this isn't one-sided. You don't take one side of the relationship or the other, you know. Um, Martin and, and co-creator Joe Hampson's uh, kind of immaculate writing allows us to empathize with me and George and their respective neuroses and flaws and anxieties completely. I think each makes a variety of careless mistakes throughout the first season, but yeah. their fully fleshed out humanity makes us understand and the, the, um, at least understand the root of every barb and every betrayal, however major or minor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. I, I think like... Um, for such a short series, right? Uh, just the character building alone and the way that the characters interact with each other is very kind of true to form, right? Um, and and so well done, you know. Um, it's like what six episodes, twenty five minutes each. Uh, yeah. It really is very uh, dense in terms of uh, how quickly you get invested into um, into May and her relationships, mm -hmm. uh, and how that kind of like plays out with or like every difficulty that she has right and every kind of trauma that she needs to kind of like work through uh you know with her parents and and with with her sponsor with her new um uh an a group like i i love just how they are ma they manage to uh illuminate what kind of character they are and what kind of relationship they're having while still it being comedic while still dealing with the issues and all of that mm. you know uh personally i really like phil uh, great. Yeah. Phil, Phil is great uh, and he's just like one of those amazing uh, characters that pops in almost like a do a machina to you know insert a moment of humor or a, a word of truth and just kind of get the plot going yeah. uh, and I really love that uh, Lisa Kudrow as May's mom yeah. is, is a standout uh, role I think for me um, yep. it's so good it's so good that way um, but yeah but all in all like I really really enjoy Feel Good uh, I do uh feel for a lot of the things i i mean like i i personally uh have somewhat of an addictive personality so mm. i understand what she's going through and it's very interesting to kind of see her very sharp comedic wit being applied to her own situation where she can kind of like call out where she's at you know uh, when mm. when they kind of like expand the definitions of addiction in her NA group for example um mm, but yes. for her to struggle in its application of that awareness is something incredibly 
part of the human condition and and you know it just adds to the pathos but at the same time also the uh the catharsis right uh, as in when she has hit certain milestones in her own life and in her relationships as well yeah um and, you know as you touched upon what you were saying earlier uh, um few goods ensemble of uh, supporting characters it's an embarrassment of riches you know yeah. um i think lisa control continues her <laughs> very very discerning uh post friends career you know yeah. you, you, should, you should guys should watch the comeback if you haven't she's really good in that um like with yet another role that's kind of equal parts hilarious and heartrending you know she she plays me as a aloof mother uh, with just the right amount of love and disappointment <laughs> uh and as you mentioned phil burgess is is positively lovable as mm-hmm. as george's off-putting but kind of well-meaning flat meat uh, if you if you've seen like Broad City, you kind of try to imagine Bevis with a higher EQ. <laughs> um, I I I also really like uh, Sophie Thompson as a Mae's cookie uh, and a sponsor Maggie. Oh yeah. Uh, whose tenuous relationship with her estranged daughter is 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 very well developed and richly poignant. Uh, and and on the occasions that it it is uh, forefront in the show, it kind of threatens to overshadow everything else on the series. Um, yeah. And yeah. and that's kind of just the the tip of the iceberg and. Leading actor-wise, you know, despite her very thin acting resume, I think Martin, me, Martin is, is shockingly excellent as the anchor uh, of the show. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, at no point in time do I... Um, she's got a lot of ticks, you know, like her character mm-hmm. has a lot of ticks, but I never felt at any point in time that, that it was distracting or off-putting. Right? Yeah. She still feels, feels really, really kind of well-rounded. Um, and, and especially in the intense emotional scenes or in, in uh, kind of like her fever dream moments, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you can really, really feel it. Um, not not just through her acting itself, but even the way like it's framed and the, um, and the great music too. Yes, yeah, great music too. You know, um, I think me as this like quippy humor that is goofy and introspective. You know, even as she teeters on, you know, a brink of a breakdown, I think uh-huh. Martin remains unconventionally charming. You know, throwing in a well-timed joke to yeah. relieve, to relieve tension when you least expect it. You know? uh, the timing of a of, of a comedy is great. Yeah. Uh, I think Richie is quite capable as George as well. On the flip side, you know, she kind of exudes the innocent decency of of a genuinely good person who just happens to be oblivious <laughs> to how her heteronormative upbringing could subtly demean her girlfriend's self-esteem. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Um, it, this this show is far from a two-hander. That being said, like you know, there's a lot of great uh character actors on the mm-hmm. on the supporting side as well. You know, it's it's like like you said, it's really remarkable that a series this brief. Six episodes, twenty-five minutes or less, sometimes yeah. can be so fully realized and emotionally detailed. Where kind of every inch of it feels very achingly authentic and mm-hmm. and resonant and and relatable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it's so strange that um, the way that they chose to do it because you have these side characters just coming in and out of May's life, right? And yep. even then, they feel so palpable, right? They feel feel so well rounded out. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's you know Maggie's daughter, uh, yeah. or whether it's um, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, yeah, yeah, you know. So like, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing how well that they did that. It didn't feel over long. It didn't feel like unnecessarily dense. So it's so well balanced, and I think like that was a big part of me enjoying the series. Just how brief and well balanced it was gave me, you know, what I wanted from the story and from the characters as well. 
Yeah. Um, interestingly, you know, this series is actually not any longer or shorter than any of the other dramedies I mentioned. Most of them yeah. are between six to ten episodes. Mm-hmm. It's just that ne- the way that Netflix releases it, you know, is you know, there's six episodes at one time. It doesn't yeah. have time to kind of build momentum and word of mouth over six weeks rather yeah. than you know, like other shows. You know, that's true. Uh, yeah. Um, feel good. I think despite its name, um, it's it does not make you feel good. I have to emphasize that. Uh. <laughs> It, it it's it's a few bad show, but it's yeah. it's extra extraordinarily humane uh, in its exploration of you know the sexual identity and queer love and addiction, and and the nakedness of the comedy will will make you reconsider what feeling good means. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's what the title is trying to imply. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, that de- uh, high recommend from both of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, any closing thoughts before uh, we, we, we cap off? Is there any, um, has there been any announcement or confirmation of like a second season? I mean, given yes. how it ended. Yeah, uh, Feel Good actually just uh, wrapped up. It's uh, filming for season two in London. Uh, it started filming in February of last year, but obviously, you know, yeah. shut, shut down production for about six, seven months. Uh, they picked it up again, I think, in September of last year and have uh finished it so they're in the pros of post-production now so you should see Few Good Season 2 uh, coming soon uh, this excellent. year at least excellent I'm looking forward to that yes uh, same here man uh, very excited to see uh, me and Martin again and hopefully if you haven't caught up on Few Good you can find it on Netflix uh, catch up on Season 1 it's gonna take you less than two, two hours plus you know yeah, uh, co- yeah. combined running time it's the length of a movie it is shorter I think in total than Wonder Woman is so <laughs> give, it, give it a shot yeah <laughs> yeah uh, next up, uh, let's talk about uh, a documentary that I stumbled upon on Net Geo. My God, this was such a, <laughs> this was just such a random documentary that I stumbled upon. Uh, it's called City So Real, and it is a five-part documentary directed by Steve James uh, that looks at the city of Chicago and its residents as 21 candidates run for mayor in the Windy City um. uh, during the 2018 to 2019 uh, mayoral elections. Uh, this was such a wire-esque, sprawling look at the ecosystem of a city yeah. uh, that feels so um, observant and doesn't lead the narrative in any particular way. It, it really does feel like a non-fiction wire to me, like in terms of uh, a, <laughs> yeah. a portrait of a city, you know? Yeah, I was just going to say that. like, It's so easy to draw comparisons to the wire for this. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, in terms of its scope, in terms of the, the breadth uh, and, and kind of depth they go into these very candid vignettes of people in the city. Mm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. it. It caught me by surprise. Like, I was just putting it on and, and I thought, like, oh, okay, you know, documentary, let's, let's see where this goes. I expected a lot more focus on the politicians themselves. And to be fair, there's a fair bit of that. Yes. Uh, but what I enjoyed most is just kind of, you know, people on the street, uh, moments in the barbershop, uh, mm. you know, family gatherings and, and things like that, that really uh, I didn't expect to have so much of and I didn't expect for that to be so eye-opening in its own way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really kind of enjoyed this. Um, I mean, like, obviously The Wire is a whole different monster in and of itself, but I mean, City So Real is is pretty up there. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it but you know, it, it, in, in like the wire, like, it captures the sprawling tapestry of a city, you know, like it, it dives deep into the bureaucracy, um, the issues, uh, the people, and, and what you mentioned, um, James kind of just sits quietly in barbershops <laughs> and bars, you know, he sits among protesters and police officers and yeah. polling officials and judges, uh, he hovers at uh, at penthouse parties and at 
press conferences and in courtrooms, and he just lets anyone that he comes across have their say. Yeah. I think the result is like this very heartfelt, like humanist uh, look at the the strengths and divisions of uh, of an American metropolis. I guess. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's kind of a, this loose yet elegant uh, juxtaposition that pervades the surreal. It's it made that makes it very uh, essential. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's certainly binge worthy, I think the show is is too dense to be binge <laughs> optimal. Yeah. Uh, it, it's better to have kind of be uh, space out. Uh, your viewings, you know. Um, as I mentioned, at, at the center of it is the 2019 mayoral elections, in which mm-hmm. uh, several candidates ended up on the ballot to replace uh, Ram Emanuel. Uh, but James has kind of more on his mind than just this one isolated event, you know. Yeah. Uh, he he spends like four episodes chronicling the election cycle and the people around it, and you know, just everyday people before jumping ahead a year in its final episodes uh, to the early months of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, which kind of turns out to be the perfect epilogue to the series because it's mm. it's kind of like this nice uh portrait of an iconic metropolis and and kind of this microcosm of of the country yeah. uh that that's kind of teetering precariously on 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 a brink of ruin and and also you know um this this endless cycle of picking the wrong person uh, to, <laughs> to, to be your leader you know yeah uh, yeah and, and 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 instead of bombarding viewers with statistics or infographics or newspaper clippings or expert commentators you know like james just kind of assembles this very collage of humanity there's there's so much going on it's in each account encounter uh, yeah. like 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 the men in their respective barbershops, um, the Chicagoans are, are, are members of various demographic groups and, and are all unique individuals in themselves, you know? Yeah. So ju- just, just because two guys happen to share a, a racial identity and perhaps a zip code doesn't mean that their experiences and political, political views align, you know? Yeah. Um, one, of, one of my favorite scenes in the show is, is the, the young black man and the old black man discussing uh, what it means to be black uh, in, yeah. in, in America, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it's such a great uh, insight into people that is unobtrusive mm. uh, and and observant rather than you know like a, a more Vox or Vice type documentary that's trying yeah. to lead you to a spe- specific agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I definitely noticed that as I was watching. Right, like a, a lot of the time with documentaries, there's always a, a spin to it. Right, the documentary maker himself or herself has has a a, a their own kind of inherent bias to those kind of stories that they want to tell. And that's kind of natural, yeah. uh, you know, when ma- making film. Uh, but I think James did an incredible job, right? Like, I think even just on the political front alone, mm-hmm. him talking to the different constituents and who they supported, right? Everyone has really convincing arguments, right? At least from the point of view that they are, they're coming from the, and the context in which that they live, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has really, really convincing arguments. And to be able to see everyday people... Um, speak their mind and discuss their thoughts and views with other people civilly some of yeah. the time at least right that it, it feels like kind of a breath of fresh air right like sure there's the protesting and there's the shouting and there's the mudslinging and all of that shit show that goes along with politics um there's plenty of that right but there are mm-hmm. much quieter moments that are so much more powerful because james decides to, to kind of like sit in i think only at, uh only at one point in time is the camera crew referred to, yes, uh, in one of the barbershops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's quite a feat, I have to say. Uh, so you know, if you want a really interesting snapshot of Chicago, um, and I, I by no means am familiar with Chicago or Chicagoans, uh, 
at all, mm. right? Like, I think this is a great, great series to watch. Definitely, man. Like, I, I love a variety of the candidates as well, you know? Yeah. There is, you know, the, the entrenched uh, establishment Democrat. There is the, the empowering kind of um, grassroots activist. Uh, there is the, even, even one of them, you know, at, at least the most famous one on, on at least the most famous candidate. La, yeah. Uh, kind, of, kind of represents the, the dangers of, of millennial and Gen Z social media hype. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's it, this, this, uh, I think Dr. Amara uh, Enya, right? Um, yeah. Is the one that uh, gets support from Chicago hip hop stars like yeah. uh, Chance the Rapper and, and more controversially Kanye West, you know? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of um, young hype around her and she's not a bad candidate by any means. So she's yeah. quite sharp. La, but the way that she approaches some of the issues and the way that she tackles PR crises clearly demonstrate that she is not ready for a yeah. position like this. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then, like, on the flip side, there is the Chicago Police Board resident, Lori Lightfoot, like, you know, in, initially a minor character in the ensemble. She's very, uh-huh. like, self-possessed, uh, straight-shooting lesbian mother and electoral novice. And, and her hard-fought upset victory makes her the city's first black woman and LGBTQ male, right? You know? Yep. Um, it seems like a triumph, at least at first. Um, but, you know, on of all the candidates, I was really taken by this guy called um, uh, Neil Sales Sil- Sil- Oh, Griffin. yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, he was. He, he seemed to me, he had the lowest number of votes, but he seemed to me like the most genuine guy out there of, of the entire field. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think for me, like what drew, uh, drew me to, to, to Neil was... Uh, just the his smarts, right? Like the way he presented things and the way he went about things. You know, the way he yeah. argued his points. And, and he got the receipts was great. Man. Yeah, the, the receipt, the tax receipts thing is brilliant. It's such a brilliant idea, and it's so simple in its execution. Mm-hmm. You know, but like I'm, I'm sure he won quite a few votes just for that. But he being outside of the political system, right? Like, yep. he's not really been in the game and all of that. Like, it's very hard for him to kind of like, um. I think in one of the episodes they're saying like you know at the end of the day this is a game and you have to you you basically you know have to be in it in order to win it, uh, and he's kind of an outsider that way which made me want to root for him you know, mm. uh, but of course him coming from like a, a much younger uh, black man with on, entrepreneurial experience and you know he um, understands growing business and growing communities and things like that like that felt like what people need. Right, mm. like that's felt what the city needed, at least in the in the way that it was framed, um, and yeah, I I mean I I wish right I would have voted for him honestly, but then again you know that's with my own kind of bias towards that kind of person, like that kind of representative, mm, and specifically his his policies as well, uh, yeah, exactly, uh, which are incredibly po- uh, progressive. The the thing is, literally everyone of the candidates. Are Democrats like this is a, a strong Democrat hold? Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Democratic Party doesn't have its issues. Clearly, like, oh yeah, there, there is. <laughs> I mean, just because you're a Democrat-controlled city doesn't mean there are going to be issues. Not they're not going to be issues with Black Lives Matter. In fact, one of the biggest issues uh, present in in the show or in the documentary and, and in Chicago still right now is is the cover-ups of uh, of police killings of, of black men. Yeah. Uh, it's still happening, has happened. Uh, and, and the stuff that they were covering here in, in City Surreal was kind of pre uh black like pre George Floyd, to be yeah. honest. You know? Yeah. You know, you're um, only gonna see the George Floyd stuff in the later episodes, right? 
Correct. Yeah, yeah. So the main issue that affected Chicago was was a, a, a separate murder um, that happened before George Floyd, and it has happened a lot, and it will continue to happen. Sadly, you know, uh, and, and just the way that some people are so cynical about it, even even the kind of black politicians uh, yeah. running for office, it's it's a bit sad, you know. And then it, they also deal with issues of you know something as something that we don't think of as sexy, you know, stuff like real estate, mm. um, the gentrification of the city. Um, yeah the different places where the different ethnic minorities live and how they can't afford to live there anymore. Um, or, or, or gig bars, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure like being a musician, you know, seeing like small dive bars kind of being subsumed by condos, yeah. shopping malls, parking lots, that kind of thing. The, the famous uh, Lincoln Yards, uh, 6 billion high-rise construction project like that's kind of transforming the area from uh, industrial zone and blue-collar workers to, to a yuppie paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... It's it seemingly encountered no real opposition from the political establishment, yeah. Uh, which clearly implies that you know, I mean, some of them are being supported lah by who who uh, whoever's running Lincoln Yards, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, like the, the the founders of the DIY uh, punk venue I was talking about in, oh, in yeah. Wilson, you know, that, that uh, largely letting a next community that may be on its way to becoming um another gentrified area lah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's quite sad, you know. Um. Yeah, I mean the 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 approach on on looking at the police, looking uh, even at COVID nineteen in this final episode um, yeah. was great. You know, well, were you surprised by the sudden shift into COVID nineteen? I, I suppose like not shouldn't be surprised like, if you followed it to that point. COVID nineteen had to be addressed, right? Yeah, I mean like if you're keeping you're, you're keeping an eye out for the dates that they give every once every once in a while, right? Like as they kind of like bridge arcs together, yeah. you know, it's it's on the, it's on the back of your mind, right? Like you already see a city that is caught up in all these internal issues that they've been they've been going through for years, you know, and then on top of that, like this mayoral uh election becomes like a, a trigger point, a tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh watershed moment in which, you know, yeah, for all intents and purposes, all the candidates they say the same things, but it's a historic moment for change. Yeah. Uh, then to buckle that together with <laughs> COVID coming in and mm. all the kind of different decisions that the new mayor yeah, uh, uh, the light, uh, you know, Lori Lightfoot, Lori Lightfoot, who eventually wins. No spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to see how how she tackles it is is very interesting. I I really wonder should the pandemic not have happened, right? Mm. Or, or this had been in a, at a slightly different time. Would the last episode had that kind of uh, uh pathos to it, right? Like mm. because the consequences are so much more exaggerated. Mm. Uh, or at least so much more salient, right? In in our eyes, because it's something that we're living through right now, right? And it's something that we see on the news constantly. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I I think like very much the last episode was just supposed to be like okay, so like in the run up to the mayoral election, this is everything that has happened, and these what people's decisions were, and then this is the after effects of that. Uh, but to couple that with the effects of COVID, mm. right, just made it like so much more harsh. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes to show, you know, that the approach of uh, Laurie Lightfoot and everyone else, and then the approach of even Neil Sales Griffin in, in the aftermath of COVID, you know, he's yeah. handing out masks in community centers and things like that, you know. Uh, it just really made me sad that Neil didn't win. Uh, he, he clearly was the best guy. Uh, yeah. uh, at least the documentary showed us that. Uh. Um, it, everyone here was kind of painted very much like humans. That, yeah. You know, like you understood where they were coming from, even yep. if you disagreed with their point of view. But... Is there anyone that struck out to you as like villainous? Villainous? Oh my god, I really didn't like Tony Periwinkle. Yeah. Yeah, she had this almost, uh, I don't know, uh, very, very witch like. 
<laughs> persona. And I, I don't know if that was intentional because we don't really hear from her personally, right? Mm-hmm. At any one point in time, it's always about the campaign. It's always about like the script that she's following. And she... Yeah, in- that scene where she's just following the script, like yeah. regardless of the questions, was insanely... Uh, Tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand that. Like, someone is literally... I mean, they they were raising their voice. I wouldn't say they were screaming. But yeah. she literally looks back down at the script and I'm like, you have an answer for that on your <laughs> script? How is that possible, you know? And then later on, you find out that she's the Democratic Party leader in Chicago. Yep. yep. Right? And, and then, of course, there's like... Uh, there's another sexual assault scandal within within her ranks and all of that. Like at no yeah. point in time did she feel like she should have taken over, and it was really scary in the beginning when she was leading the polls. Yes, yeah. even yeah. the even um the uh, daily right uh mm-hmm. daily third generation uh mayoral uh candidate. You know, um, I mean, sure, he reeks of corporate America and old money and, and all the entitlement that goes with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I don't think he felt evil, you yeah. know. Uh, even the ex-police um, chief didn't feel evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had a lot of kind of valid points as well, I think. Like, you know, it's not just police brutality that's kind of on the venue, right? There's so many more, like, systemic problems involved in that uh, above and beyond just, like, looking at the police. Right, and the funding for that. Uh, sure, so they made all very, very arguments, but I really didn't like Tony Perrinkle. I, I think like they didn't shed very good light on her. But mm. at the same time, it's also because I don't think they had access to her in the way that like uh, uh, Laurie Lightfoot gave, in the way that Neil gave, in the way that... Um, Amaya. Amaya uh, Mara gave, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so we got to see a lot into like their lives and, and have them address some really kind of pressing questions, right? Like uh, Amara was kind of called to task for, mm-hmm. you know, her previous kind of job history and just like kind of very basic discipline stuff. Yeah, and also, you know, Kanye West. <laughs> and, yeah, and Kanye West, you know, and, and like all of that. Uh, and it's nice to see politicians in that kind of light, right? Especially, I mean, it, it definitely does help humanize them. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think for me, what really kind of like what, what I was surprised by is when Laurie's house gets surrounded by protesters, right? And she mm-hmm. refuses to come out and kind of address that. Mm-hmm. And later on, she explains like, "Look, it's a kind, of, it's a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my home, right? Yeah. I'm a politician, but I'm human too. And and you know, my family doesn't need to be exposed to that. Mm. Um, and that's a very real thing." Right, yeah, and I, I yeah. completely understand her decision not to address the crowd while they were protesting uh, outside her home. And uh, at the flip side, also, you totally understand the anger of the crowd, you know, and and why they felt they had to resort to that. You know, it's it's yeah. a complicated thing, you know, and it, it politics is a complicated thing, like, Especially yeah. when you're dealing with politics in a clearly broken system, like, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of good, smart people trying to make good choices and trying to compromise where they can, uh, but it's never good enough when the system is so flawed, like. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really great. You know, I, I I honestly I could have happily watched ten hours of City So Real. <laughs> it, it it never felt like it dragged, and it, yeah. and it, it never makes bureaucracy or procedure look boring. You know, yeah. Um, it doesn't pretty anything up. It's it's an advertisement for the city of Chicago and urban planning alike. You know, mm-hmm. like how important is urban planning in in an urban city like that? Yeah. Um, it's it's a fantastic look at 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 
a, it's a fantastic microcosm of America in general. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really really great. You know, like Chicago aspires to be this global tourist city, or is it more of a midwestern city with neighborhoods? Um, what is the outside perception of Chicago? I know. Yeah. You know, north North side is rich, South side is black, but this one it delves into you know. The, the neighborhoods in the middle, the neighborhood in the west, the neighborhood in the east, you yeah, know, yeah. like places that you don't know about where Muslims live, where Latinx people live, you know. Um, it's fantastic. This is one of the best documentaries I saw last year. I think it ended up in, in my top 10 and I was shocked uh, because I didn't encounter this until <laughs> December. I yeah. didn't realize that it would make that much of an impact on me. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm really, really kind of blown away, right? Like, and it's very difficult not to draw comparisons to the wire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which if you guys haven't watched, we've talked about that at length with uh with guest Charlie Dim. Yeah. A couple of episodes ago. So you can go check that out as well. But City So Real is such a good such a good documentary. Like I feel like I know so much more. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you know, at the end of the day, like it's so rare to kind of have such a objective look at things, right? Um uh, at least more objective than some other documentaries of similar ilk that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel it's it's an absolutely essential five part documentary that you should watch. It's a very like a noble, heartfelt, eye opening look at, at the American city, kind of with with a big scope, uh, yeah. but also very human, but also very warm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's impressively wide scope, uh, But you know, the thing that really makes it sparkle is is this small moments, mm, uh, okay. the small human moments among uh, both the politicians and the regular everyday people uh, in in. In restaurants and barbershops and things like that, you know, uh, there, there there's just so much sweeping ambition to to encapsulate the city of Chicago in one series, in one docu series, you know, uh-huh. in in all its beauty and in all its ugliness at the same time. Yeah, uh, and I think it, it does a great job of making Chicago look great and making Chicago look horrible. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's it's both because it, it's both like it's a great city and a bad city. Yeah, know? yeah, it's for sure. I mean, like I think it it kind of like sums up um the. There's one Latin gentleman that they they interviewed in the first episode, right? And he mm-hmm. says, "I love the city, but the city is trash," mm-hmm. uh, you know. And that kind of like sums up uh, sums up the entire series, you know. Um, like so much love for the city, so many people so passionate about, you mm-hmm. know, um, Chicago. But I mean, wow, <laughs> there are these moments when you're just like, "What the hell is going on?" You know, they're, they're like small moments of unity amongst everyone, like yeah. black, white, all the candidates it's it's when chicago sports teams win yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> like you see there's, there's like this is one like brief truce moment i think in episode three or four when like i think the chicago baseball team won yeah and yeah. everybody was just like <laughs> so yeah you know there, there is unity in chicago uh, and, and and sports can do that uh, in in many places and and it's great because i think a lot of cities and countries around the world it's like Chicago, you know. Mm-hmm. There are good parts. You can love your country. But the only way you can truly love your country is to address what's wrong with your country also. Like, yeah. your city. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why City Soro is, is a great watch. If you have uh, Net Geo, please go watch <laughs> it. Um, I do know that Disney Plus is coming to Singapore on February 23rd. And yeah. Net Geo is part of the Disney Plus bundle. Mm-hmm. So if you're signing up to Disney Plus to watch Mando, to watch WandaVision or Falcon and Winter Soldier or stuff like that, Give City Soro a shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to be talking about all the those other shows as well. So, you know, why not why not hop in and watch City Soro for something different? Yeah, because, you know, it comes with it for free lah, if mm-hmm. you have it, you know. You know. Uh, next up, let's talk about uh, Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Uh, Raven's <laughs> Banquet is the subtitle for, for the first season of Mythic Quest. It, it, yeah. it delves into 
uh, a video game studio uh, that does uh, one of the more popular MMORPG games in in the world that they created lah. Yeah. Uh, and you you you're much more of a of a bigger ga- gamer than I am. Um, yeah. Uh, but this show actually, you know, really captivated me, even though I'm not a gamer. Yeah. Uh, it, it comes to you from the team that brought you It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So it already has a good pedigree <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, as far as sitcoms go, this came out way back last year in January. Uh, mm-hmm. And it still sticks in my head. Um, I think overall, Mythic Quest as a show, um, it's a very good show, but doesn't quite get into greatness. Except... Yeah. Uh, you see moments of greatness that show that what it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a strange conundrum because this show did not make my top 25. It was in my top 50, but it's not in my top 25. Mm-hmm. But if I were to make the best episodes of 2020 list, number one and two belong to Mythic Quest. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those specific episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let, let's uh, get your opinions on uh, Mythic Quest uh, Raven's Backward and how did uh, season one do? Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, I've heard whisperings about Mythic Quest ever since it was in development and when it kind of came out, but I never actually got to it until we need, we were going to do this review. Um, yeah. And that was just kind of because, like, I, I don't know, there was plenty of other things to watch and, like, uh, I, I started gaming again, like, when, when, you know, COVID hit and all of that. I was just like, oh, I don't really know if I want to, like, add another thing that relates to gaming on, onto my plate. Yeah. Um, kind of that. But, oh, man, Mythic Uh, Mythic Quest is hilarious because of those things because of the yeah. fact like you know I'm, I'm a bit more keyed in to um, you know what games are out and what the game studios are like and then these days at least right you get these kind of like cult as figures uh, um, from from each kind of studio who kind of speaks on behalf of the company and on behalf of the the community and things like that so to like, be able like to, I in, like, yeah. yeah so the, the thing is is that I, I mean I started playing WoW again after like mm-hmm. 10 years of, of, of taking a break uh, when, mm-hmm. when COVID hit uh, and the lead game director of uh, World of Warcraft's name is also Ayn <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was the wrong purpose. Yeah. So okay. So his name, um, the in real life, right? His name is spelled I O N, like Ion, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's pronounced Ian. Yeah. And then in the show, his name is spelled uh, like Ian, and then like Ian. Yeah. So like it's a complete flip side, and like there's some really, really obvious kind of like they do throw some shade in that direction. You know, they do make fun of of. Um, I mean, there have been a couple of things that have happened in in World of Warcraft. Over the years, that do they does get referred to, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty funny in that way. Like there are a lot of little little things that you kind of catch on, and of course, like there's the greater kind of like meta discussion about gamer culture and what it's like, the toxic fandom that seemingly comes along with that. The YouTube um, channel. Uh, oh my god, the streamer ones are so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, I don't think there's been a time that it's been uh, been more real than that, right? Like with the rise of streaming, uh, with everybody getting you know, isolated at home. Yeah, yeah, uh, Twitch or YouTube gameplay channels are prevalent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like how much power streamers have these days is pretty insane, you know. And I think like Mythic Quest captured a lot of that very succinctly and very humorously. So mm-hmm. like I was laughing a lot. I, I think throughout watching the entire thing. Um, uh, whether or not it's a true kind of snapshot into what. Uh, game development is like that. I'm not sure. I don't have enough kind of like reference to that, or even have enough friends in game development. I have a few, but not 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 enough to kind of like um, speak to whether or not it's it's true, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think like Mythic Quest kind of um, you don't need to be a gamer to uh, to understand kind of like the work 
uh, comedy that, that they're trying to put out. Right. Yeah, like, it, like in essence, it's similar to like The Office or something like that. Like, uh, but workplace attire is workplace attire. Like, it's yeah. just that the power dynamics in the video game industry is a bit different. Yeah, yeah, and, and some of them really specific. But I mean, it's nothing that you can't get over or learn yeah. along the way. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it really is. It really was really very fun. Uh, I I think just kind of like laughing uh, along and laughing with them, with all these very kind of little niche things that I I think. Uh, at least I think that you know uh, only gamers would know, but at the same time having a lot of like universal truths uh, coming out mm-hmm. <laughs> about like the politics in the office and just like human relationships uh, at the workplace in general, and I think mm-hmm. they captured that really well. Yeah, um, it it actually captured like my favorite my favorite line in all of twenty twenty in, in any TV actually came from one of the episodes where they were dealing with a group of Nazis. That, that... <laughs> Pop a clan in a game. Yeah, uh, and then they, they they were supposed to craft a press release, uh, uh, basically denoun- uh, basically apologizing. Uh. And then my favorite line came from you know the, the old sci-fi writer, yeah. uh, C.W. Longbottom. I th- the line went. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. The line was, um, "So are we apologizing to or for the Nazis?" <laughs> so hilarious. It's so good. I I, I particularly like um um what's his name. Murray uh, Abraham? Yeah, C.W. Long. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. He is so you funny. Say, you say, I may not know much about the gaming culture, but I know sci-fi writers. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the old one. The way that he carries his Hugo Award around everywhere. Oh is so yeah, funny. I want I want this Hugo Award for a novel I wrote in the 70s and then like nothing after that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think his reaction to, uh, I think, Red Dead Redemption's cut. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, I mean, like that, and like the whole arc where where he was threatened. Um, uh, what what's Danny Pudi's character? Brad. Uh, he, yeah, Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Brad was threatening to replace him with the AI robot. It's <laughs> one of my arcs, favorite arcs of the the series. Which turned out to be an air conditioner, but you know, uh, yeah. CW Longbottom doesn't know that. Yeah, but it's so good. It's so good. And I mean, like, they, they play upon his age and all of that and all the tropes that come with that, especially mm-hmm. in the quarantine episode. But oh my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the characters are fascinating, I think, yeah. right? Uh, as much as they feel like caricatures of, of, you know, what it could possibly be in real life, like, they play it up to such great aplomb that it's, it's hard not to laugh. Right, mm-hmm. it's hard not to laugh. It's hard not to feel for for some of the people who who are in the position they're in. Yeah, I, I, like those are the kind of uh, side characters, right? and I think with every sitcom or comedy, you need to kind of build out everyone. Yeah. everyone the side characters. You know, you, I've come to love everyone in Parks and Rec. I've come to love everyone in the Office and stuff like that. Like all Brooklyn Nine Nine, you know. Yeah. Uh, like Hitchcock and Scully, you know, are minor characters, but I love them too. You know. Uh, similarly, like you know, Danny Pudi, uh, Brad, the corporate shark, and and everyone else are kind of minor characters, but the crux of Mythic Quest kind of deals with the relationship between Ian, uh, or e- let's call him Ian, because uh, yeah. his name is really Ian, and, and, and uh, Poppy, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of Ian's real secret weapon. She's like this brilliant young programmer who who spends half her time trying to corral, <laughs> I think, Ian's more ludicrous instincts. Yeah, uh, I think like the actress that plays Charlotte Nick Dow uh, is really good at making Poppy the voice of reason Yeah. Uh, in this weird workplace environment. You know, she's the show's anchor and, and immediate standout because she isn't some basic annoyed voice of... Uh, or she isn't a wet blanket. Uh-huh. Like, she's, she's ambitious, smart, and power-hungry and, and sometimes weird in her own right, you know? Yeah. But, but at, at her best, or at least at her funniest, she's enraged as she is constantly trying to prove herself. 
um, I mean, number one, being a female programmer in, in a male environment, and, and yeah. number two, dealing with the insanity that is Ian, uh, and, and trying to make her own mark in Mythic Quest uh, beyond making Ian's dreams come true, like, trying to find some passion in her life. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that they dealt the the relationship between Ian and Poppy starts up very broad, very funny, very like kind of absurdist. Yeah. Uh, and then it kind of delves into who they are as people. And I think where the show really succeeds, even more so than the workplace comedy aspects, even more so than the video game satire aspects, is the creation if the is the fully fleshing out of Ian and Poppy as people. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think when they start getting into that ter- territory, it is so surprising. Right, because it kind of sneaks up on you, uh, and like, but the end, you know, uh, by by episode eight or episode nine, right, you start to kind of really feel for them. What is surprising is like, I I like Poppy from the get go, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, such a such an adorable character, um, you know, and and complex as well. But mm-hmm. Yin's character was something that I really did not imagine myself liking. Yeah, I mean, you're not supposed to, at least at first. Yeah, you know, but after that, like, when they kind of humanize him, they kind of kind of bring him back down to earth, like, past this whole, like, oh, you know, I'm the fucking creative director of the game, you know, this is my vision, this is my game. Um, Once we get past that, right, like, I mean, you know, I think, I think, oh, what's the actor's name? Rob. Rob McHelney. Yeah, I think he did a great job with that transition, you know, from Mm -hmm. going to, like, this egotistical power kind of hungry uh, um, uh, director caricature into something really kind of human and palpable and and understandable, right? Like, I don't... I'm still not a fan of his character, but still. Like, how he and Poppy kind of negotiate and kind of come to terms, I think, with their very long-term personal and work relationship, um, Mm -hmm. I, I think, is one of the best parts of Mythic Quest. Yeah, uh, one of the more interesting aspects of Mythic Quest is that when we start to understand uh, Ian better as a human being and we, when we even start to feel a bit of empathy for him, yeah. we also, on the flip side, do also want Poppy to kind of break out mm. uh, of the toxicity of their relationship. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's one particular scene that, that is very funny but also <laughs> very, quite heartbreaking at the same time. It's when... Uh, I don't want to kind of spoil the joke, but it's it's basically alluded to that that Ian treats Poppy like a dog. Yeah, uh, you know, and she looks at the other guy and sees this the dog waiting for her owner, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was a great moment uh, that really like showed Poppy like maybe now it's time for me to to break out of this. Yeah, uh, but it's like you don't want to because I I kind of value their friendship too as as well. I mean, like they do make. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the Mythic Quest doesn't exist in the real world, but it feels like they do have these moments of magic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're real. But that doesn't lessen the fact that it is an incredibly toxic relationship, mm-hmm. you know? So when she does get approached by... by um, uh, other, a rival company. Like. Yeah, like other opportunities, right? Like, a part of me was like, yeah, you know, go, be free. Like, go, like, explore your own thing, mm-hmm. you know? And then, the, obviously, the counter-offer comes, comes from the inside again. And, like you don't know you want her to succeed but at the same time like there's a lot of work left to be done in their relationship mm-hmm. um so yeah that was just kind of one of the things that left me feeling a bit uh you know i i i want to see it resolved for sure but i mean there's a lot more that needs to be done yeah yeah um okay uh let's get into kind of the the big standout episodes of the yeah. season yeah uh yeah. number 1 is was a big tonal and uh, ambitious creative swing with yeah. Mythic Quest was that in episode 5 entitled A Dark Quiet Death um, 
after you know four episodes of following the workplace and the woes of the hectic video game company, Mythic Quest abruptly changes course in episode five yeah. because it doesn't follow any of its main characters, but rather focuses on two previously unseen, unintroduced developers named Doc, played by Jake Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, and Ian, played by Kristen Melotti. Um, it's a jarring change of pace, uh, but Doc's Doc and Bean's uh, intertwining love story, uh, and and uh, their passion and art and corporate compromise, you know the 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 age old um, uh, money versus art uh, argument, yeah. uh, stands as uh, one of the most must watch episodes of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And the, and the reason that Mythic Quest did this is to kind of offer a bridging, allegorical episode for the show. Yeah. Uh, this is this this was where the show turned from more comedy to more drama. This is where. The th- this is where you can foreshadow the turning point of Ian and Poppy's relationship like, through this yep. allegorical story, you know. Um, it's such a great idea. Uh, it's set back in the 90s uh, and it, it was written by Rob uh, McElhelney uh, himself, you know, uh, and alongside his sister, actually, Katie. Um, it starts uh, roughly 25 years before the events of the show, so it's a prequel mm-hmm. uh, in a video game store from uh, from the, the <laughs> 90s. Um, Goth and death-loving young woman, you know, who is Kristen Milotti, meets the awkward game producer. It's kind of a meet-cute. Uh, little do they realize that they're kind of tame flirting over uh, over a video game will change their lives forever. Yeah. So over the, over the half an hour, Mythic Quest details the birth and death of a dream. Um, so the, this angry and deeply nihilistic being craves a game that resonates with her. Yeah. And, and Doc promises her to, to make that that dream come true. So together, they, they set out to create a game that mirrors her view of the world, one in which the only thing you can do is evade the darkness yeah. uh, and monsters and, and you just have to run. Um, immediately, it's clear that at first, that at first, like, Dark Quiet Death game is more than just a fun project for Bina. It's yeah. a world you actualize, you know. Uh, and then her boyfriend, who is a bit more practical, a bit more money-minded, a bit more uh, aware of success and, and what you need to do to compromise in, in the video game corporate world, uh, starts to kind of tweak her game a bit to mm-hmm. make it a bit more palatable for, <laughs> for developers, for, for consumers and stuff like that. And that's where their relationship dissolves. Uh, it comes to a point where somebody makes you know a terrible video game adaptation of a beloved obscure a dark game that is nothing like the game itself. You know, um, I think this is a, such a great microcosm of the birth and death of art uh, and, and the whole argument, you know, art versus commerce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, I really, really love that episode. I think uh, one of the most pivotal moments that I really kind of felt um, very strongly about is near the end, right, where, where mm-hmm. he's talking with his brand manager and his brand, you know, and he's like, you know, where do we draw the line, you know, and you know, I want to keep this as it is. And then the brand manager goes, yeah, sure, you're the boss, right? We've been yep. following you all this time. Uh, like that really, that really, uh, I, you know, I've had some personal relationships with that really felt very, mm. very real. Yeah. So, uh, like, it's such a great episode. And it's, it, it feels like I would, I would seriously watch a spinoff of that. All right. Because mm-hmm. it is fascinating. Uh, and I understand, like, a lot of the, the punch of the episode has to do with this brevity. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, if they would ever do think about, like, having a spinoff and kind of, like, expanding that i would love to see that because there's so much to talk about you know yeah yeah i mean the the 
episode is is so focused on the, kind of the marketing aspects of gaming also you know yeah uh, uh but people can kind of overlook that it's not just about watching the rise and fall of a game it's kind of the rise and fall of a relationship as well mm-hmm. um anytime you pour your passion and your heart into something you know be it a relationship or a video game or any form of art i think the output is is incredible but also what it does to you as a person is very remarkable for good and bad yeah um so it's it's a really affecting remarkable episode like, both as a love story and both as a story about art versus commerce mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean and, and a... even had like one a big it had a, a huge laugh out loud moment at the end like, when i saw the video, <laughs> game. video game adaptation it was yeah. hilarious because all video game adaptations are like that yeah 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 oh my god um but yeah i mean if if you're listening to this at, at this point of the episode and you're curious about mythic quest i if nothing else just watch a dark quiet death yeah yeah like honestly out of the entire series like this is the episode that's worth watching Mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else and i think hopefully it will convince you to catch everything else as well yeah yeah i mean the whole ebb and flow of a dark quiet death's rise and inception and success and their relationship and you know how um how the the boyfriend kind of relies on focus groups and market research more than you know the, the brilliant dark fucking weirdo that he loves um, <laughs> you know it's, uh, he starts chipping away at her vision and eventually kind of uh, the truly unique horror game that she made and analogy for depression that yeah. they built together is, is stripped down into another soulless blockbuster hit lah. i mean if that doesn't sell you and if you're a gamer like i, I don't know what does like, it's such a great great story mm-hmm. uh and as as you said i would love to watch a spin-off of this but this is kind of similar to another Kristen melotti thing from last year <laughs> Pop Springs, whereby like i enjoyed her relationships in Palm Springs and A Dark Quiet Death so much. Yeah. But I also saw that it was the perfect story for what... It was a perfect single story like that didn't need, doesn't need a continuation. But I just like love her character so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like I want to see more of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's... it's it We, we got a great episode, right? And I have no complaints mm-hmm. about that. But I mean, I wouldn't mind if it was small. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up is actually kind of a bonus episode that Mythic Quest released, I think, let's see, seven, six, seven months after after the season finale, which was interesting. It was yeah. kind of a coronavirus episode where it was kind of shot over Zoom. And I know a lot of shows were kind of doing this at that time. Mm-hmm. I think Parks and Rec was one of the first few to do it. Um, as feel good as it was, it wasn't actually a very good episode. You know, it was it was nice. Like, it was nice to see, you know, like Leslie Nope and stuff, like hang out for old friends. But... I, I felt like throughout the entire time when a bunch of shows were doing like a bunch of COVID Zoom episodes, yeah. they, they were just not good. They were they, they they had a gimmick there, but they just didn't have a spark to it. They didn't have a real reason to do it. Yeah. And I think Mythic Quest Quarantine, what he did here <laughs> is this is coronavirus's first and only masterpiece that that was shot on Zoom. Yeah. Um, you know, there there was once a time, right? Like actors rarely, if ever, were asked to look into the lens of a camera. But now in this particular age, we're kind of relying <laughs> on screens for human connection. Um, yeah. even if it's a fictional character. And I like that instead of just being just another hangout thing, they decided to kind of satirize or mock the idea of workplace Zoom meetings. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Which I've been involved in so many times. And I think everybody over the last year has been involved in and yeah. has been has had their share of frustrations with. Uh, and, and what Mythic Quest did with this particular Zoom workplace meeting isn't just um, comedy gold. It's also dramatic gold. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, like... Uh, how much can we talk about without really spoiling it? Honestly, 
I mean, yeah, we can we can talk about broadly. Like, it's it's it has so many great moments, you know. Yeah. Um. I. I. Well, I mean, obviously, like the the moment of triumph at the end comes with a collaborative Zoom thing that they do together. Mm. Uh, it's one of the most joyous things I saw during the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh. Also, one of the most heartbreaking things was uh, I think the continuation of Poppy and Ian's relationship. Yeah. Uh, as well, you know, I think. Poppy specifically was kind of the star of, of Mythic Quest Quarantine, her depression, her loneliness during the early stages of COVID. Yeah. Uh, really helped uh, illustrate fictionally mm. uh, what we all were feeling. Everyone else was trying to make happy, go lucky, joyful. Let's, you know, you know, like try to take your mind off it. I think Mythic Quest, what, what, the reason why it succeeds was because it didn't ignore it. It didn't ignore the psychological impact of those early days of COVID. Yeah. And, and Pop, Poppy was the character that felt it the worst. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that one scene, her breakdown scene, which is just yeah. audio, mind you, was yes, amazing. Audio, yeah. It was absolutely yeah. amazing. Uh, I, I really felt that. Um, and yeah, it's it's crazy how much, again, like they managed to squeeze into this single episode. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you, you, you get to revisit all your favorite characters and their relationships there, right? But wow, between Poppy and Yen, damn, like a lot progresses um, in the short span of this and, and it's kind of the highlight of the entire um, show. Yeah. Show, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's shocking that Mythic Quest actually made its best episode uh, as kind of a bonus, uh, like something that you just thought of while you were bored in quarantine. Yeah. And you yeah. just decided to do it. And I think what differentiates Mythic Quest Quarantine from other installments uh, is that it exists fully in the moment that we're in at that time. It doesn't bother with false hope. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also still packed with great jokes, you know, from <laughs> yeah. like, like CW, who is, is struggling with technology uh, that now keeps us all connected. I think <laughs> Brad engaging in a not-so-friendly Street Fighter competition. Oh, um, yeah. It also showcases the ways in which we're all adapting to like, you know, the strange new normal and the sort of yeah. beautiful creative acts that people are exploring during lockdown. You know, it doesn't stop you from being creative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it also gets raw about the situation in so many unexpected ways, uh, anchored largely, as I mentioned, by Poppy. And in these moments, it really allows us to feel for these characters in a way that maybe we aren't letting ourselves feel at that moment ourselves. Um, yeah. I think I watched the episode for the first time um, live, like the day it came out. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't stopped thinking about the way it managed to say things that I've been, I had been having trouble articulating. Yeah. Uh, and and the final moment uh, of triumph, the triumphant sequence at the end, the, the root Goldberg uh, sequence, uh, made me feel better while still remaining truthful to the to the state of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it is, I mean, like definitely the best uh zoom sequence I've seen, zoom thing that I've seen. Zoom I mean, one, yeah, zoom episode. Yeah. I mean, one kind of did did something pretty cool too, but like nothing kind of like with the impact that this had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And and it's it also still progresses character relationships, you know. Yeah. You see what you see what happened in the aftermath of Ian and Poppy's agreement at the at the season in the season finale, <laughs> you know. Things like that. Yeah, it's 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 heavy stuff that's sandwiched into a hilarious ride through like countless zany yeah. video calls, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I, and the Street Fighter showdown was fun. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, CW is always fun. Now. I love anything that CW does. It's so he's so he's so great. He's the one character that I really understand because I, I come from that world. Yeah, yeah. I really, really love his character. Like he's so, so, so much of a sort of thumb, right? Like it's insane that 
it works. Like it, it, his his presence in the series works so well, despite the fact that he's such a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? With with a group of other millennials and Gen Z people who are technologically savvy, and then you have CW there like clutching his Hugo yeah. Award from nineteen seventy. <laughs> the moment that he has with um, not Dana, who's the other girl, the other tester. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, is it Rachel? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, the moment that he has with Rachel, right, as they were just kind of discussing gameplay versus cutscenes, right, yeah. and the whole idea of like story and triumph and all that, like that has been. Oh my god! Uh, I mean, I used to work uh, with games, not not in games necessarily, but with games. That was a conversation slash argument that I've had so many times over so many like uh, coffees and dinners and things like that. So to see that kind of like play out, uh, it was really fun. Mm. Exactly. I think of all the shows that we've ever covered on 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 behold or genre. Mythic Quest feels to me like the show that was most born for this moment. Yes, I agree. Season season one, it explores the complex nature of the online community, mm-hmm. moody gamers, online trolls, customer service nephews, <laughs> uh, stuff like that, you know. And and they, they all collectively form a vibrant new ecosystem uh, that only looks like a punchline on the surface until you delve deeper into the yeah. people and how this works, yeah. you know. Uh, and then on the and then right at the end of it, they they become timelier than ever with the first ever coronavirus masterpiece that really delves into the psychological implications. Yeah. Uh, of it, like Mythic Quest is really a show of now yeah. more than any other show that I've I've seen lately. Yeah, most that guy show for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you can you can find it on Apple TV Plus, man. This is a really really great show, and and I highly encourage it. It's it's this this is so weird because Mythic Quest had a lot of hype. Yep. Early, early last year. Mm-hmm. It's just that nobody I knew had seen it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I kind of think it's like Apple TV. Yeah, it's right? Apple TV, yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know if that's going to change for now, but um, I mean, I, I, like, like you said in the last episode that we were just talking about, right? Like Apple TV has so many good things going on right now. Mm-hmm. And if you already own an Apple product, then, you know, why not, right? Especially Correct. if like, it's, it's free for the first year or something like that. Yeah, if if you had if you have an Apple product that you have bought, you know you can it comes with a promo code for Apple TV Plus. It's free for twelve months. Yeah, uh, that's the best deal I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, and like they're yeah. almost using Apple TV Plus as a marketing to sell Apple products, which is which is pretty insane, right? Considering like the kind of stuff that they've been putting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, if you have an have an iPhone, you've got a MacBook, or you're thinking about getting one, like you can spend part of that twelve months just watching Mythic Quest, and we promise you, you won't regret it. Gamer Definitely. or not, yeah. Gamer or not, yeah, correct, correct. Because I'm not a big gamer. I have played games, and I just I know people in the culture, and I understand the broad strokes of the culture, <laughs> but I'm not super into it. Uh, but yeah, even even that gave me like a. A, not just a better understanding, but also a appreciation for the culture. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, before we cap it off, you know, uh, we ended the last episode with your most anticipated, I think, films of 2021. Yeah. Uh, do you have any any most anticipated TV shows of 2021 oh. that you're dying to watch? Uh, I mean, like, WandaVision has started already. Correct. So, yeah. oh man, so far it has been, it's been nuts. It's been nuts. I'm really enjoying that. Um, so I really, I'm really looking forward to kind of the rest of the season playing out. Um, what else is, what else is coming out this year of note? Um, Barry Jenkins has a mini series, uh, Barry Jenkins, of course, on Moonlight and mm. uh, if Bill Street could talk, has a mini series on Amazon called The Underground Railroad. 
Uh, it's a long-awaited adaptation of a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. Uh, it's kind of a semi-fantastical story following a slave named Cora uh-huh. as she escapes uh, to the north using a literal underground railroad, you know, not a metaphorical <laughs> underground railroad. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. I'm not actually sure whether it's genre. It sounds like it is, but yeah. we'll, we'll oh. see. I mean, uh, I, will, I, I will find a way to fit it in either be <laughs> Yeah, we can always do it on Behold. It's a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah, yeah, that looks pretty good. Uh, I did catch the first episode of New Batwoman. That looks pretty oh, good. Oh, how was it? I, um, I didn't watch that. This new girl that they've casted, I think she's doing mm. pretty well. I mean, she's, okay. she's leagues ahead of, of, of Ruby Rose. Um, so yes. I don't know. Again, it's the it's kind of like a repilot, right, of the show. Um, but yeah, it looks pretty good. I I, I don't know what direction they're going to go. Hopefully, it's not going to be kind of like grimdark. I would love to kind of see like a, a more campy version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure what else comes out. Uh, I'm looking forward to three big returns. Uh, yeah. Number one is the, I think it's been whew, four, three, four years. But Atlanta is back this year. Oh, really? Nice. Uh, um, and it's been two years since Barry, and Barry is back this year. Nice. Uh, and it's been two years since a show that I really love called Succession. Uh, so Succession Season 3 is back for this year. So those are the three big HBO shows I'm really yeah. looking forward to that's coming back. Uh, something that I'm curious about, I wouldn't say excited, mm-hmm. but I'm curious about is obviously the Snyder Cut. Oh, uh, yeah. <sighs> Which is being treated as a four-hour miniseries, although he keeps calling it a movie. But if you're really... And the same thing with Small X. I'm tired of these like things who are releasing one-hour one episodes <laughs> saying that, like, oh, we are actually a movie. No, fuck off. You're doing TV. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah, just let's just not. I mean, I really want to see what it's going to be like long form, right? Not yeah. a huge fan of Snyder. Not a huge fan of what he's done with, with, with the franchise. Mm. Uh, you know, but I mean... Fans call for blood, and blood is what they're going to get. So we'll see where it goes. I, I think it's important enough for us to watch and discuss mm-hmm. uh, what the outcome of that is going to be like. But I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to that necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? What else? Uh, Witcher, the new season of Witcher is going to be coming out this year mm. as well. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, can't get, you know, kind of too much Henry Cavill going around. Yeah. Uh, I think Snowpiercer is coming back. So is coming back, definitely. Uh, Westworld is coming back. Westworld, I'm not sure. Is it not confirmed yet? Uh, it, it's supposed to be slated, but they haven't finished filming. So I, I, I don't know like, whether they can get it done in time. Mm, okay, yeah. And I think other than that, for me, it really is kind of uh, uh, the slate of stuff that Marvel, Marvel TV is coming up with. Uh, well, at you least know. WandaVision, um, Loki, and probably uh, What If, but I'm not so sure about... Um, Falcon with the soldier. Yeah, Falcon with the soldier looks okay. You know, I'm not. I'm not. It look, yeah, it looks fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it it will appeal to people who are looking for what is gonna uh, um for for that specific kind of like action genre, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but with what Wonder Vision is doing right now, I'm just I'm just kind of blown away. Like that's a mm-hmm. really high bar. Uh, yes. Setting uh, right out of the gate, and I I really want to see where they go with it. Yeah. Uh, one show I did want to mention was a show that was I really liked in twenty. Late 2018 or early 2019, I forgot, but it was a show called Tuka and Bertie. Uh, oh, the yeah. creators of uh, Bojack Horseman. It was cancelled by Netflix, sadly. Uh, but Adult Swim saved it. Uh, oh. So it will be back for season two uh, later this year. Nice. Uh, excited for that as well. And uh, one final thing I wanted to mention um, is we, we actually covered this movie uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's called Blind Spotting. Mm. Uh, Blind Spotting is actually being turned into a sequel series spin off thing on Stars. Is it? Uh, 
<laughs> Diggs, isn't it? Uh, David Diggs and Rafael Cassell are writing uh, and writing and producing it nice. uh, together with the original director as well. Uh, but this one will follow um, the wife of the white guy. Um, fuck, I forgot his name. You know, uh, the, 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 the bigger dude. Like, yeah. uh, that's played by Rafael Cassell. Miles. Miles yes, is his yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this time he's in prison and it follows his wife as she's struggling to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, interesting uh, spin-off for Blind Spotting. I hope I hope it's as good as the movie. If it is, then you know, I'm yeah. down for that. Ooh, Better Call Saul's final season is this year too. Supposedly, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really sure what's confirmed and what's not, but like, there's a fair bit to look forward to this year. Definitely, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, a foundation on Apple TV Plus looks good. Also, Isaac Asimov's uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. We'll see. I mean, like, what was the recent, the Elseworlds? Was it Elseworlds? This was. Uh, this world. Yeah. Uh, terrible to watch. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. So I'm, I, I don't know. Like the adaptations haven't been doing too well. My, all great hopes are pinned on Dune, but we'll see. Mm. Uh, but the trailer for Foundation looks really good. I have to say. Uh, what is your opinion on? I mean, this is going to be released this year uh, on Netflix's uh, Cowboy Bebop live action adaptation. Uh, I think they got the casting right. Um, okay. yeah. um, I, I, I think he's up for the. He's up for. Oh man, what's his name? Damn it, John Cho. Yeah, I think John Cho will do fine. Um, my main question is whether or not they can they can hit the visual, um, the visual acuity of of it. Right, like Cowboy Bebop is such a specific look to it. I think if they can nail that and they get some really dope music, uh, mm. it should be okay. Uh, how much they're gonna change and how faithfully they're—I mean, I really doubt they're gonna be faithful to the story per mm-hmm. se. But so long as you get the main protagonist down pat, I think it should be all right. And he seems like John Trust seems like he—he's a fair bit of a fanboy, so hopefully he'll do that justice. Uh, but that being said. Again, in the history of anime adaptations, like it's never yeah. been done right. So, yeah. I don't expect them to do any better than deliver something decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will be surprised if it's you know if it's got more acclaim than that. Yeah, after watching the watch, I was very I'm very worried about adaptation. Suddenly, uh, la, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I'm worried about Isaac Asimov's uh thing. I'm I'm a bit less worried about Amazon's Lord of the Rings, which seems like you know they're throwing a lot of money behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think with that, uh, because from what I've read, like a lot of the people who worked on the movies will be helping out with the series itself. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, as far as like how it's gonna look, how it's gonna feel, my problem is with what they're trying to adapt. Like the portion of law that they're trying to adapt is fairly tricky. Mm. Uh, it will help that it's long form, so they don't have to kind of like dance around with timelines and as so as much. Mm. Uh, but it's a pretty like, it's a pretty complex chunk that they're taking on. So, we'll see if they work that out. I mean, like, Game of Thrones in the beginning was as complex as it gets, I think, narrative-wise. Uh, and what they are trying to do with the Lord of Rings series seems like it wants to go in that direction. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Speaking yeah. of uh, um, House of Dragons, which is uh, Game of Thrones' prequel series, will be coming out this year as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, obviously, every Game of Thrones fan is worried about that, uh, considering, you know, we haven't had the best last three seasons. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, Why the Last Man is coming out this year as well. Oh. I'm also, also worried about that because oh. it's a comic near and dear to my heart. Lah. Yeah, one of the best. One of the best. So it's really, I don't know. I mean, like, it's really so hard to say how these yeah. things will do. I'm, I mean, we are always, right, gunning for you to succeed, right? Of course. Because everyone is better for it, but no one has proved this. <laughs> Mm. You know, no one has, has proved the skeptics wrong yet. So correct, yeah. Really, yeah. On on a guilty pleasure note, is something that I'm gonna be watching in a couple of days. So this is not a recommendation by any means. I just want to <laughs> see how this goes. Um, Jared Padalecki, you know, from um from Gilmore Girls, from yeah. Supernatural, uh, is starring in a prequel of Walker Texas Ranger called Walker. Yes. Uh, so he takes over <laughs> from Chuck Norris in his reboot, yeah. and I'm I don't know. I'm just so curious to see it. I I mean like I've seen the posters around. He looks yeah. the part. He looks the part, but I I don't know. I really really don't know. Like who are the writers? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, honestly, I don't care. <laughs> it, they can't they can't be good writers la. I just I just want it to be cheesy fun. That's all. Yeah, and I mean maybe they 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 will be able to deliver that. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is to make it like very like dark and gritty Walker. Like I don't want dark and gritty Walker. I want like nineties Walker. Oh man, I mean, it's making that genre is kind of making a comeback, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll really see. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much about it. Is there anything? Yeah, pretty else? much about it, uh. Yeah, I mean, my my number one was anticipated is the Return of Barry, uh, But yeah, it's been so long, and Return of Atlanta has been so long. Oh gosh, yeah, these two shows are great, man, and. Uh, I've been saying like a lot of, you know, the new dramedies, you know, like uh, uh, that quality. I have a feeling that once Atlanta and Barry comes back, they will really show me that they are, they are of a different level. Yeah. I, I, I just miss those shows so much that I'm starting to elevate other <laughs> to their level. Yeah. 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 We should do yeah. an episode, actually. You know what? We should do an episode on workplace, um, workplace comedy slash dramedies because there are a couple mm. of like anime ones that I absolutely love. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, so yeah. That, we'll, let's make a note of that. Definitely. Okay. Uh, yeah, and we'll be back in a week's time, a couple of weeks' time, actually, for uh, John Equality 38. We will be discussing The Expanse Season 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, no. So, The Expanse Season 5, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Uh, Carmen San Diego's final season. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll be talking about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina's final season <laughs> and, and a few other movies and shows as well. Uh, uh, till next time, though. Uh, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Aisa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.